2: An absolute magician. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Coming in live as always, Steve Haller. And uh joining me this week, Andy Pregler back from somewhere. Uh, yeah. and Kevin Wall in for uh our injured reserve uh colleague Christian Guzman So how are we doing, guys? Doing well,
1: doing well. How are you doing?
2: Can't complain, man. Can't complain. Another week talking orange. Um, I guess I could yeah, complain I apolog- about the orange. I apologize. But... <laughs> uh, there's,
0: there's a, Steve, there's a level to the story that I didn't tell you about why I wasn't on last oh, week. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I might have enjoyed the pinstripe bowl too much to the point that I lost my phone in Yankee Stadium. Um, so... Shout out to the human who was very kind and took my phone back to Greenwich, Connecticut, fully charged it uh, and re and reached out to me, uh, was sitting in the Syracuse fan section. Uh, that was arguably the low point of uh, of that week. But, you know, I was just I was just pinstriping too hard. That that's the that's the moral of that story. Fair
2: enough. You were
0: you
1: put the bad boy in bad boy mowers pinstripe ball. <laughs>
0: I tweeted out that I found the bad boy mowers and then I lost my phone. And that's what happens at the end of that quest. That's why Sean actually never completed
2: the quest because the, the reward is actually not worth it. (laughs) Uh, yeah. The reward is your phone has stayed away. Great. Good job.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) So yeah, that we, we, did we touch on that? Jesus. What day is it? How, how, how did this whole thing (laughs) happen? So yeah, Um, we had pinstripe bowl. We had podcasts. Yep. Now we're back on this week. Um, I think this is a week we'd mostly want to forget, which is probably why I'm having so much trouble. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, women's basketball had a 2-0, well, 2-0 oh, yeah. week They're... since you finished the podcast, right. since you guys were recording during the end of the NC State game. So, yep.
2: Yeah. So they, they've they had a week, but every, every other program hasn't had the greatest of news. Um, yeah. I, where do we want to start? I well, mean, we're, I think-
1: soccer, we're a soccer school and a soccer podcast, right? So, we might as well hit the soccer dudes first.
2: All right. Well, where are we where are we going with that? Outside of the fact that well, Levante did not win the MAC.
1: Yeah, Levante did not win the, and then uh, Kurt Kaloff uh, oh, is going to be transferring, so team. another yet another uh, integral part of the championship team that'll have to be replaced before next fall. So. Yep.
2: and Caleb would have been—he would have been a nice piece to fit directly into uh, that right back slot where he was kind of starting in and out, especially towards the tail end of the year. Um, he is a New Jersey kid, so transferring back to Rutgers—who knows if it was, you know, uh, coming home doing whatever? Um, you know, yeah. can't can't ever fault the kid for going home. So,
1: oh, and it makes you wonder what Mac has cooking. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure in, so. he's he's
2: always got something cooking. So
1: yes.
2: And they've got—I mean—they've got a lot of pieces to replace. They what lost five to the draft plus Nate plus the seniors. I think we're I, plus Kalov, I think that brings us up to like eight of the starting eleven gone. Um, yeah. Thankfully, that still brings back a couple couple pieces of the puzzle that are pretty integral and have played some minutes. But as we know with Mac, that transfer portal, I'm sure, is going to be pounded hard, and we'll see we'll see who comes comes through. Yeah. And, and mostly, I think we'll see Canadians. pretty soon.
1: I think we'll see a few coming in for uh, start of next semester. So yep. next week we'll probably get a little bit little bit of news of who's actually on campus for the spring in terms of either incoming class or transfer, So
2: yeah, there's usually four or five four or five people to get get announced about now, and then about four or five as the spring season starts, and then the the final trickle during the the springs or the, during the summer. So. Um, right. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he puts together and how we can piece that piece that puzzle back together.
0: Yeah, I think that there's also like <laughs> there's also the crazy aspect of this of like, if you're out there on the recruiting trail and you're a defending you're the defending national title team that was built on transfers, the value proposition has fundamentally shifted uh, on the recruiting trail. And yeah, Kevin, I think you kind of alluded to it. Like, what is Mac cooking up here? Like, there's a really good chance that this roster, again, not saying that always bringing in an entire new roster of transfers is going to work every time. However, there's like a really good chance that if you go to a kid who's looking maybe for a new chance or, you know, uh, at any other conference, it's like, listen, you get to play in the ACC Premier Conference premier program that can launch like they just had five guys drafted into the MLS. Right. Like this is, this is a launching pad program and we need playing time and we need transfers. If we're going after you, it means something. And that is that again, Mac has shown that without the value of a national championship, he can build this team through the transfer portal. Um, with that now, like there's a really good chance that the ceiling on t- the type of players that you can get has just been raised to a level that we haven't really seen before. And it'll be really interesting to see what names, again, with college soccer, it's not like there's a giant, there's not an easy way to kind of track everybody that's coming in and going out. Um, so there's there's a really good chance that in the next coming weeks, like Steve is going to be very busy, like writing down a an article of like, Hey, these are not just like nobody names, like this player was like a really integral part at this school that you might not have heard of, but oh by the way, they're actually really good and this player is fantastic and they're coming to Syracuse.
2: Right. See yeah. see Johnson, Kama Levante or Apoku, Kama Nathan. Yeah. So yeah. I, And so
1: we we talk about with like football, how does football capitalize on a bowl? You know, a bowl game to yeah. for recruiting in a winning season. Like think about that. Men's soccer, not only a national championship, but uh, two alums in the World Cup would have been a third if not yeah. for injury and I, you know I didn't go through every squad but how many colleges have three you know three alums that would have been on world World Cup squads so even for those players who may be the late bloomers who don't mm-hmm. you know hit that uh, early you know national team status you know talk about a selling point so um you know it's it'll be curious to see what they what they come up with
0: yeah, well, that's, Kevin, like, you go you, you just did a na- nice natural transition here. Right, we're going gonna gonna to talk, talk about some football transfers yeah. here because naturally, why would we talk about basketball in the middle of basketball season? Let's talk about Syracuse football. Um, again, this is it's kind of tough to tell. Time is all relative and whatnot. Um, but in the last week, there have been there's been some movement on the transfer portal front, not necessarily coming in. Um, but some transfers going out and finding new homes. Um, On Tuesday, Jihad Carter uh, announced that he was committed to Ohio state. Um, today, Deuce chestnut and uh, committed to LSU. Those were the two biggest losses for the orange on the defensive side of the ball. Both of them are going to play off contending teams in the two biggest conferences in the country. I mean, I don't think anybody here disagrees with the quality of Deuce or Carter and their ability to play at that level. I do think that this is, again, Kevin, kind of talking about what you're going back to something that you talked about. Like, this is creating a very interesting value proposition for the Syracuse coaching staff. Yes, we're losing these guys, but we're basically losing them in the way that, like, to bring it home since Steve is wearing his Yankees hat. It's like the Pirates and the Yankees dynamic. Like, hey, you're playing at the highest level, but now you get to play at the highest part of the highest level. And there is something to be said about the development of getting to the point where we're developing guys that OSU and LSU think are valuable to either round out their roster or fill starting holes.
1: Yeah. And I think Chestnut, you know, a lot of people might say, well, coming out of high school, he could have... Been at that level potentially like i think he may have been someone ohio state might have had as a a b you know a backup um in case right. you know someone else fell through but jahard carter was one of those you know i don't know what his offers other offers were but i believe he was just a, he was just a three-star you know so when people talk about you no know, babers only gets three stars and and um between those two guys going to others and then what we'll see in the draft and when the coaches point to Andre Sisco starting for a playoff Jacksonville Jaguars team after, you know, uh, coming through and developing at Syracuse again, you know, what can they do with that pitch? Do the transfers that are coming in, um, from Notre Dame and Nebraska are our Jersey corners who are rated higher than Deuce out of high school. Do they, are they ready to step right in and play at this level? And do they become that next group that that moves on um, to replace Deuce and Garrett? So,
2: Yeah, Carter's Carter's looks coming out of high school were good, not great. Um, vatech Texas Tech, Marshall, Florida Atlantic, and us. So, yeah. you know, uh, all teams, like, if you're looking for the P5 stuff, it's like, okay, those are teams I would expect on the same offer sheet as us. It's not, you know, right. Bama, Ohio State, LSU, uh, Clemson, etc. cetera. The, so it's kind of that. Like Andy was saying, that one A type uh, tier, um, the 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 Brightons and Brightons and Bournemouths versus the Manchester Uniteds and Chelsea's, or in this case, Chelsea's down in that. Uh, th- this year we're a mid-table team, so I'm not going to mention gun- the Gunners. So yeah, why not? You don't you know, yeah. <laughs> don't,
0: don't, I don't mention anything yet until after the man after the first Man City matchup. There, they they I'm going to be terrified of them for a while. Um, But one of the Steve this is actually kind of and this is something that I think we've we always talk about this because you were the one that put together basically the 24 seven historical rankings of Syracuse recruits and continually point out that Syracuse getting any four star, let alone a specific four star that you may want on this team is a rarity. So we are really kind of baked into converting these three stars into something and the the. The reason that we continually talk about this is that it's not to bring you back to statistics class, but like it's basically managing variance. Blue chip recruits are much less likely to bust than a than a force than a low four star or a high three star or a two star or a one star, etc, etc. So the odds of you getting a truly elite three-star prospect every cycle, like, that's not going to happen. I think we can look right. back at the Scott Schaefer era and look at a bunch of high-level three-stars that never really panned out, right. and that's that's the back end of that variance that really can hamstring a program for a while. It seems like Dino and his program have done a decent job developing at key, specific positions. Um, but one of those positions that we haven't seen a ton of development at that I think is, is worrying is the quarterback and wide receiver combo positions. The players that we have done well with Dino have come in from outside the program. Looking at Amba Etatawa, um looking at Courtney Jack or not Courtney Jackson. Um uh, uh which Tristan. who was the Jackson? Redis- yes,
2: Redis-
0: yeah. yeah. Um those were all players that were gathered in through the portal. And again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but when you're looking at the defensive backs, when you're looking at the linebackers, when you're looking at the defensive line to an extent, where you're able to get three stars in and turn them into valuable players or turn them into NFL prospects without having to go outside the program, you're, you're identifying areas of strength, and you're also identifying areas of weakness in the program. Um, so, Steve, we, I turn to you because you're kind of like, obviously, the offensive line guru, but when it comes to this offensive side of the ball, we go, we've we gone through another coordinator shift. We're looking at a roster when it comes to returning talent at those positions there's nobody that jumps out off of the paper for us. Like we know what Garrett Schrader is. Yeah. None of the wide receivers aside from a Gatson have really the potential to be the number one guy. So as we look at this roster moving forward, like I know that we've taught, like there's still plenty of room and there's plenty of space. What kind of player should Syracuse be looking to grab in the portal on that side of the ball? because obviously the defensive side of the ball is now replace what we lost. Add, add depth to the defensive back position, add depth to the defensive line, add depth to the linebackers, just get anybody in offense. It feels like we need to be a bit more targeted because we're not losing anybody there, but that side of the ball needs a lot of help outside of the running back position.
2: Yeah. It's kind of weird because you have, I mean, yes, Gadsden is on the roster as a tight end. If anyone thinks he's a tight end, they need Sorry, to I always head forget head. that uh, Yeah. So technically our best receivers are tight end A lot of schools can say that But sometimes those are actually tight ends Ours is not um, in, in You look at the current wide receiver room uh, Trevor Pena Cooper's gone, Jackson's gone CJ Hayes Is gone, I believe Unless he's getting a sixth year Yeah
1: um, Jones might be back though, Isaiah Jones Has yep. another year
2: Jones is back. Queeley transferred. Hatcher is back. Dom Foster transferred. Uh, Alford. And then Sam Warren, Nate Wellington. Long, Adams. Long and Brown.
1: Long Adam, 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 brown. Yep. So, or Adam Adams and Brown. Adams and Brown didn't really play much, but Hatcher and Adams had a little bit of time.
2: Adams had a couple of deep routes that looked good. Uh, brown, I don't remember a whole lot of, but he was true frosh. 6-1, kind of a in between we don't have that other big guy down the field like Gadston is that body type but we don't we don't have a Steve Ishmael yeah like Great. it wouldn't be wouldn't be a bad look to get a get a Steve Ishmael out there just a big all right have Gadston run his route across the middle that he runs every god dang time and just have somebody with the size of Ish go out and you know run a 10-yard post or 10-yard uh, dig and just let him let him do things let him body people
1: but. So we do have in the portal. Sorry, I'm just gonna look up his name. Uh, Bowling Green had a receiver. Oh yeah, that, we that was transferring. Tyrone, yeah. I think it's Tyrone Broden. Nope, that's not him. He's six four. They have a six seven receiver who oh. has an offer from Syracuse, and I think he's got like. oh, I looked at his numbers. He think he's got like seventy career catches and like twenty touchdowns.
2: That's not a bad. Thing. Oh. Yeah, that's not uh, bad. it's a pretty
1: good ratio. Yeah. Um, you, you know, obviously, I don't think he's an Ishmael, but he might be more of an Etowah who didn't yeah. have numbers at Maryland and fit that. Hey, if they're going to single cover you, we're just going to tell the quarterback to throw it up.
2: <laughs> right, which at and... this point has kind of been offered. Like he's kind of yeah. been that guy that's that deep threat of like get him one on one and tell him to go, and he's had some great long completions. But and, and with another year, he might be able to do that more consistently as well.
1: Right.
2: So he, it seems like he and Schrader are, they, they have something going over the top, but to find something somewhere else would be nice too. Um, It seems like, I I think I said it somewhere. It might have been in one of my like live thread tweets when he had one of those catches, but it's like the only catches he ever makes are 40 yards. There's no like, I think he had like one, one sub 20 yard catch on the year. So (laughs) there, there's something there too. But, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird to look at and weird to the the portal just makes things weird. It's it's really at this point the wild west, and yeah. hopefully we can you know make the best of that. But yeah, it's it's so going to be new.
1: I think you have this week for the portal, but then you're also going to have to have after
2: spring practice. Okay, there is and another period so after spring practice.
1: It it in may. There's another window,
2: okay.
1: so you'll have your players who, like Carlos Del Rio Wilson, who go through a spring ball at their school and realize, oh, I'm so this far spot on the depth chart. I'm gonna put my name in the portal, and because I know these schools have an option, um, I don't think like you know positions like quarterback, it's tougher for someone to come in at that point in the summer. Um, and be expected to make an impact but some of the other spots we're talking about whether it's you know linebacker defensive line or another receiver i think you know that's where the coaches need to be smart and i'm going to try and figure out this week where we stand on the scholarship front because trying to figure out (laughs) who's got who's coming going where the eligibility is i
2: would say call john because he probably is still keeping that
0: up (laughs) <laughs> I'm, going, um, I'm going out to I'm going out to L.A. I will bug him and see if he's got. <laughs> the, uh I'm, I'm meeting up with him in person this week. I will I will ask him if the spreadsheet still lives and is up to date. It, nice. it
1: does live, and he's probably cursing us because he's probably yelling right now as he listens to this. That he gave us the info. It's just <laughs> update it. <laughs> um, but I think people have to understand. Like I think the staff has to be smart, and if they've got an opportunity to leave a couple of scholarships open. I think Syracuse probably lose a couple people after spring. Um, we haven't heard anything about a quarterback leaving, which I wouldn't be surprised if one does after yeah. spring ball. Um, and the other part is, you know, some of these players, if they uh, may be in position to graduate after three years. So, so for some of them, they might stay the semester to finish a, their degree before they make the switch rather than transfer and lose credits and all that, that fun stuff that that goes on the academic side. So, uh, it's going to be, it might be slow. And I think that's the hard part for fans. I think they see players leave and we haven't replaced. Um, and I think there might be some need for patience because I think Syracuse is going to have to wait. You know, we've talked about where you are in the pecking order and you're going to have to wait till the, some of these players in the portal go through their visits at SEC and big 10 schools and maybe find out that the opportunities that m- that they thought were there aren't quite what they're thinking and may start to look at their next steps through. So
2: yeah, I just realized I pulled up. So when you were talking about the the recruiting spreadsheet earlier, I pulled it up because why wouldn't I? Um, the So Total, we've had, uh, let's see, that have made it to campus. Well, no, not even that have made it to campus. Uh, that have committed to Syracuse via LOI. Uh, We've had 17 four- or five-star players total. That is two two five-stars and 15 four-stars total. Two of them are coming in this year via the transfer portal. So you're down to 13. You had uh, one, two, three did not qualify. So you're down to 10 total. This is since 2000. Uh, Cecil Howard, I think Kevin, you remember Cecil Howard when he was yeah. recruited heavily. Um, I only remember cause it was right when I was kind of, uh, well, I was a junior when it, when he was going through all that, but, um, the, the dawn of the internets, but, um, he came in, did nothing and transferred out to Youngstown state. I think, um, he was a, he was the only five star besides Johnny Morant who had yeah. a solid career. Uh, Diamond Ferry was a four-star, Averin Collier, Wayne Morgan, Marquise Spreel, uh, LeVar Lobdell, Adam Rosner, uh, offensive tackle, uh, Marcus Sales, and Ron Thompson, and Trill. So everybody else that we've ever recruited was not a four-star. And we know the crazy things with Sales and... Like KJ Williams didn't qualify, Andre yeah. Baskin didn't qualify, DeVito transferred, like Lenora Sellers sellers didn't even commit. He flipped. Um so yeah, that's that's where Syracuse is in the pecking order. Like we've we've only had 10 get those, to campus.
1: I don't know if any of those players ever made an all conference team. Um
2: maybe Morant, maybe, maybe Spruill. all big east. Yeah. I don't Sproul, think, I think Morant, did. Because
1: or. Morant had like a, a Decent senior year. Yeah. And then he ended up getting drafted. He ended up, you know, turning into a decent career in the NFL, but numbers-wise, yeah. I don't know you if know what? he ever did.
2: I, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm pretty sure he made an all-Big all, uh, all Big East team in NCAA okay. for me. So. <laughs>
0: well,
1: <laughs>
2: Diamond, yeah, I, Diamond Ferry, like, same deal. I I mean, yeah. if you combine his and, offense and, this and defense. Is, and this is have.
0: what we were kind of – sorry, this is what I was trying to talk about with, like, the whole, like – recruiting thing i i don't want i think that there's a lot of people who are going to take away from this that like oh syracuse doesn't need to focus on four and five star guys because clearly we're doing fine with three stars but it like that's that's not the point the point is more that it's just about variance management at a school like syracuse where again the portal has kind of changed that where if you miss on a guy you cut bait on them and you and you find someone else Um, so it's definitely changed things. You're not necessarily stuck with the same guy for four years. Um, but it is kind of proof that like, listen, we can make it work with three stars. This doesn't need to be a roster of entirely four-star guys in order for Syracuse to be quote unquote good. It's just a matter of picking and choosing the right spots to go after specific four-star recruits. And I think that again, even if they don't necessarily end up being cores of the teams that they are on. Or they don't even end up being like all conference players. It's just a matter of all of those guys were consistent pieces to a roster for their entire time here. And you're not getting that with every three star that you get. You're gonna get a bunch of guys that don't contribute meaningfully on the two deep, uh, as well as you know your starter that might turn into an NFL player. With the four star, you know the floor is just a lot higher than what you're gonna get with a three star.
2: Of note, the 39th highest-rated recruit we ever got was Ricky Krautman.
1: Yeah.
2: All it's kicker, you baby.
1: Yeah,
0: it, it
2: is. That was Ross's brother. Well, for the record, for any of you young folks. <laughs>
0: you you know you know what that you, that sounds like something that should be on a T-shirt, specifically a T-shirt from Home Field Apparel, today's sponsor of the pod and always sponsor of the pod. Our friends at Home Field Apparel make the finest vintage collegiate uh, apparel that you're going to find on the internet. If you are watching the Twitch live stream, all three of us are wearing our home field apparel outfits. I am the only one wearing a Syracuse one, which goes to show (laughs) just how great this company is at making comfy collegiate clothing with vintage inspired iconography that is just cannot be beat. Obviously, uh, if you are listening to this, when we drop this, which will be sometime Sunday night, uh, the national championship game is tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Monday, it's tonight, and they uh, our friends at Homefield have both an excellent Georgia and TCU collection. I am watching with a bunch of Georgia alums and thought about getting a Georgia shirt. And then I looked at the TCU collection and that TCU collection is just straight fire. I I could not pick between either one, so I'll be rocking the Tulane Green Wave shirt, as I always do to stay neutral, official shirt of the home of the Noons Magician podcast. If you would like to rock a Georgia, TCU, Tulane, Syracuse, whatever T shirt, hoodie, joggers, uh, you would like of your favorite school, make sure you use promo code Noons N U N E S for ten percent off your entire order at Home uh, Home Field Apparel. If it's your first purchase, uh, gentlemen,
2: My it is. I just looked. I just looked at the TCU stuff. Oh, it's, it's
1: great. My daughter has a frog sweatshirt that I told her she has to wear to school tomorrow. Um, uh,
2: that's amazing. The, the frog horn shirt? Like what? Come on.
1: Oh, The, the TCU collection is incredible. And I, I would say, like, there's home field magic. You know, people say, how did that team turn around and win so many games and make it to the championship game? Just look at those T-shirts. Look at that, yep. those, that mascot and the Hypno Toad, And you'll have your answer. And so I, so I need to get on that.
0: <laughs> we, we definitely do. The, the, the two TCU ones that I love are the riff ram bazoo. Mm-hmm. No idea what that's referenced to, but it's ridiculous. And the fact that they put those words on a T-shirt are great. And then there's also the the TCU, just like what looks to be wearing like a fur coat. Like we have the the slippery rock in a fur coat, which I own on a T-shirt. But now there's a TCU frog in a fur coat. Like mascots and fur coats are just an automatic ten out of ten, period.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and if you pull this up side by side with the uh, the Georgia collection, like as, as someone who, as you can tell, is partial to a baseball shirt, I do appreciate that. However, it's no contest. TCU will win this on home field on home field magic alone.
0: Yeah, I love, and the Georgia collection's not bad. It's not. It's it's got a. Ama- it's like the the Georgia golf shirt is. I think it was one of Homefield's top ten uh shirts of the year. It's it's just fantastic. It's just that yeah, shocker, vintage stuff when you open up the uh when you open up the trademarks and you just let people uh find the old vintage logos, people love it because they look great and they're funny.
2: Who knew? Yeah the TCU collection is on like wavy and uh like slippery rock levels, yeah. I believe. Or as Kevin's wearing the the classic Hawaii stuff is great too. The
0: Warriors. Yeah. Just fantastic. Um Speaking of things that have had better days that we like to remember, the vintage versions of Syracuse basketball.
2: <laughs> Too soon, man. Too soon.
0: Yeah. Um, there's, this was a weird week. Uh, Syracuse technically went 1-1 one one since the last podcast. Um, they beat Louisville, who is two and 2-13 and has zero conference wins. Um, they beat them by one point. There you go. I was going to say, uh, don't bury Syracuse- the lead on that
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> And they should have um, lost that
0: game. I mean, we call we've been calling it on the podcast since the beginning of the season. Like, that's just been like a no doubt or Syracuse is losing to Louisville. There's still chance. There's still time to, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's still an ACC tournament to be played. Cal, Cal can still um, get back in this
2: man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then Syracuse lost to Virginia, 73 to 66 in a game that was closer than expected to be.
2: Um, well, that was I'm, a, I'm not. I, gonna I, will, lie I would say the game was the game wasn't as close as the score said it was.
0: Right. I think it, both score lines flatter the orange, which yes. is kind of ridiculous to say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm just going to toss it to both of you because my general reaction from this is, like, this team is bad. And I don't really know how to make this team good other than the obvious ways. And so... How you're sure, sure, think... jack I <laughs> Well, I'm looking at both scoreline, Both box scores look very similar, um, and I think yeah. that that's slightly worrying um, on a few different fronts, and I'll let you guys kind of talk about why that's worrying on a few different fronts.
1: So, to me, what's worrying is that Jim Beheim promised at the end of the year this team was deeper, it was more athletic, they would play better defense, they would play faster. They seem to be deeper, but he doesn't play like he decides on seven guys each game, it seems that play heavy minutes yeah. uh, and the others get token appearances, which is, would be fine if he's matching up proponents. Um, they don't press, they don't run and they don't play defense. And he said, they play man to man. They don't, they don't play zone. Well, they press pretty well um, because they are athletic and they are deep. And so the fix would be, you don't score very well, and you don't defend. And as we saw with the Virginia game and as we saw last week with Pitt, when Syracuse went to pressure and made the game helter-skelter, their players did better. They got quicker shots. Um, Syracuse gets bogged down in the half court, and it's the same thing. And I know Christian said it on the pod, and we've written about it. The ball doesn't move. And I know Jim Beheim wants to run through the three Js to score. But when Joe and Judah are your guards and they're taking over 15 shots a game and then your other players are getting three or four and Jesse Edwards, he struggled yesterday um, against probably the right now the highest rated defender in the ACC and Shedrick from Virginia. And Virginia doubled and they sent the double at Jesse right away. And Jesse struggled making quick decisions and, but Circus didn't help him by moving. But when they went pressure, they didn't create turnovers or too many turnovers, and Virginia didn't break the press to try and attack the score, but Virginia got out of their rhythm, and so Virginia ended up taking sh- threes, but they were later in the shot clock, and then Virginia didn't really rebound or crash the boards at that point, and Syracuse did a better job rebounding, which Virginia, I think, at one point in the second half missed 12 straight shots um and so that's how syracuse got back into the game but they got out of it right away virginia made their first five threes and all they did was they passed the ball to kihei clark at the foul line syracuse kind of did the usual thing where jesse edwards has to cover from the rim to the foul line to both corners and the two guards lost shooters somehow i don't know how you lose shooters uh, clark is not a scorer but he had 11 assists um virginia had 22 assists on 23 field goals uh, yesterday, and and that was their game was just and they they rotated players at the foul line and they threw the ball to the high post and then that person turned around and they looked and waited for someone to get open and passed it and they took a lot of open shots and and when Syracuse pressed, Virginia wasn't able to get into that same set as quickly and Clark ended up at the top of the key a lot and so they didn't have the same sort of rhythm in the second half and and Syracuse did a better job of scrambling back which. Is a testament to the team, uh, you know, to, to kind of come back in two or three games. But it's just frustrating because you look at them against good teams who are going to take try and take Gerard out of the game and take Edwards out of the game and put a lot of pressure on Mints and and they just they struggle with the pieces because the other scorers aren't good rebounders yet and the rebounders aren't really good shooters and so you end up with this kind of hodgepodge lineup that doesn't quite work too well on either end and beheim has got to figure out how to push those buttons each game. Um,
2: Yeah. Now hear me out on this and call me crazy, but if you use more than seven guys, you could probably use that really effective press defense a lot more than you do.
1: Yeah. I I think, you know, maybe not 40 minutes a game, like some teams, but I think you're right. Steve, like,
2: you know, we're not Heema, talking VCU from a couple years ago or, yeah. like, 40 Minutes of Hell. Like right. We, we don't need Tarkanian. We just need, like, something to continue to be able to break up and turn it on and off. Like, that. Right. that's the other thing is they they fall back on that zone, and it's almost like they get complacent and keep, keep running that set instead of, okay, this possession, zone, next position, we're throwing the press right back at them, and then back off a little and then throw the gas back on it's it's weird how how they're how however Bayheim's got it designed right now, for one, it's not working. like we can all attest to that. Yeah. but for two, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense with what you have on the bench and what you have on the team.
1: And so this team has been terrible starting games, terrible yes. and offensively and defensively.
2: so you would think
1: like, hey, first possession, we're going to play zone and then after our first basket, we're pressing. And then force the other team to call timeout. Like, whoa, wait a second, what's this? Or maybe get your players into the game a little bit sooner. And I think, guys, like yesterday, we didn't see Quidier Copeland much. Um, You know, Benny Williams is out. And so John Bolajak started and got, like, the ceremonial, you make one mistake and we're yanking you after, like, three or four minutes. And then he didn't emerge again. So Malik Brown came in and played a, a really solid 36 minutes. He's really good fronting the ball in the press um you know justin taylor saw a lot of time chris bell didn't play much in the first half and the second half he came in and made some shots and kind of got the team going samir Torrance was in and out not a ton i mean when jesse was struggling yesterday i think that was a perfect opportunity to you know take him to the bench put Hema in maybe take joe off for a couple minutes and go pressure yeah and and sacrifice some of that half court scoring and just say to guys look you know get the ball and attack the rim and and try to ramp up the tempo and, and force the other team to play a, a different style for a little bit.
2: Um, that's what but that's you can't what come out and like good teams too.
1: just pick you apart.
2: You know, that's what that's what old like Bayheim's teams of old were all about that. Have a token yeah. center in there that can play defense and just run.
1: It, it, I mean, I think of the times I think of the year, you know, the years where Craig Forth and Jeremy McNeil overlapped, yeah. and Forth started, and Fourth was the better. Zone and position guy and setting screens, but McNeil was the press center. yeah, and some games McNeil played a little bit more because they needed someone to press and you know encourage teams to try and attack him and get a couple blocks, and then the ball goes the other way. and suddenly now yeah. teams don't want to attack you when they break the press and they want to stop and then you get some traps, you get some, you know, you just throw teams into a little bit a little bit off their rhythm. and I think, you know, I'm curious to see what he does this week. Virginia Tech's struggling, but they come in you know, with a, a similar profile to Virginia in terms of like they've got scores, not as many or as good. Uh, we'll see if Hunter Couture is back for them. Uh, it's a big loss for them right now, but they've got some shooters. And so are you going to come out and just say, okay, well, we'll dare you to make threes.
2: And then they'll start making threes, and then they yeah. won't switch <laughs> it up yeah. until yeah. it's too late, and you're down 12. Uh,
1: yeah and then you got to scramble to come back and and it's just then you're not you're playing your style so i think you know the interesting thing for syracuse is the acc is not very good um you know there are opportunities for syracuse they've got two home games this week to kind of get things right uh you know they would get duke and carolina at home and they're challenging road games Uh, miami looks like a terrible matchup because it's Four perimeter guys that can all drive to the basket and a pretty athletic big, and so it's like, oh, how are they gonna, how's the zone gonna keep these guys in front? But like Clemson, you know, is a team that Syracuse can play with. NC State can score but can't really defend, and so you know, there's opportunities for wins, which I think is the part that a lot of fans are looking at. Like, hey, we can, we can win games and finish like fifth or sixth in the league. And right.
2: but what's that gonna do for you this year? The way the ACC looks, like, is it a, is it even a four team league? Is it even a four? I we, right I now? just
0: had this debate with uh, a friend who follows basketball really closely, and we were basically split. Like we came down at four point five. Like it's yeah, it's,
2: yeah. It's, it's 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 somewhere between three and a half and four and a, like four four might be the number, four and a half might be the number. You're right.
1: It it depends on Pitt and Clemson the rest of the way because right now it's like Miami, Duke, Virginia did enough yeah. in the non conference. Carolina mm-hmm. has the better probably non conference resume.
2: Right. Yeah, um, and they'll they'll and so, always get the the nod on pedigree alone, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yep. And so it's kind of like, all right, can Pitt and Clemson win enough gate like avoid the losing to Louisville, losing to Florida State, and, losing to Syracuse, you know, yeah, that sort of thing. And I think ultimately, what's disappointing is after last year, you kind of thought, all right, last year's team couldn't shoot their way to a winning season. Never mind a tournament bid. You figured the like the staff would have learned their lesson and and tried to get the pieces that fit and it feels like it's a wasted opportunity because the ACC is down and because the non conference schedule was so easy because there were so many freshmen and then you look at losing to Colgate and Bryant um, is just ugh, they're just crushing losses three quad three losses right now for this yeah. team and it's going to be really hard to overcome that and at the end of the year we're going to look at it and go you know what the ACC was wide open this year and this team could have done enough to get into the tournament. And at that point, yeah, they probably have a team that could win a game or two in the tournament again. But
0: yeah. And and like the the other team to like look out for that we were kind of talking about right now is Virginia tech. They're dealing with some injuries right now where they're non-conference. They started the season on a heater and then I think it was their guard um, I think it was Hunter Cantor who went down. Yeah. Um, like, if he comes back, that's a team that can become a very big problem um, right. in the back half of the schedule and start, you know, taking away games. Syracuse should have, like, when they play Virginia Tech, um, they've got them on Wednesday. It doesn't seem yeah. like he's going to be back in time for that game, so they'll still get hurt, Virginia Tech. But that's a game where you're looking at it and, like, sure, they're 1-4 and four in conference. That They're probably a better team than Syracuse. ESPN's matchup predictor has... Uh, Virginia Tech as like a sixty percent favorite in that game, so even if even if we are talking about Syracuse existing in that like top five to eight spots, like a lot of those teams are not playing at full strength and are right. just as good as Syracuse. And you, we've seen the tournament committee give preference to those teams that played at less than a hundred percent and take that into account when when it comes time. And that's just not that's just not the boat that Syracuse is playing in right now. Yeah, I mean, I'll make the
1: Syracuse... bold statement for this podcast and say that this game is a must-win. If Syracuse has any postseason hopes, they have to win. Yeah. And if and if not, it's auto bid time because it yeah. would be another home loss. It's not. It's probably a quad two loss, maybe one, depending on how quickly Virginia Tech writes the ship. But right. yeah. when it comes down to that, how did you do against the teams that are also vying for these spots? Like you, you need to have you know, you need to win these games. And so this week they're two. you have to be two and O this week. Yeah. So at this I, time, next Sunday, you guys are talking, if Syracuse hasn't beaten Virginia tech and Notre Dame at home, uh, you know, it, it's time to start talking about how we're going to face Kentucky in the NIT and whether it'll be it in the dome or Rupp arena. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, that's I'll also the, <laughs> as you said, auto bid time, like that means winning the, A- the ACC tournament, which yeah. is not something that Jim Boeheim has done well at. Um, in the entire ACC tenure, I don't even know where the hey. ACC tournament is this
2: year. If back we even get a home court,
1: it's back in Greensboro.
2: Yeah, it's the one so. trip
1: we have to make to North Carolina this year.
2: Ah, uh, yeah, so. So, so I I pulled up the ACC standings. Cuse has got three wins. They're against uh, literally two teams that have not won a game in conference. Right, like zero and five, both of them, and then BC, who is two and three, with. Uh, their win over the injured Virginia Tech as mentioned and then against lossless or winless Notre Dame. Yeah. And then yeah. It's like yeah, that, they're not looking great.
1: <laughs> that road win at Notre Dame that people are like, oh that's a good win. Yeah, not so good anymore. Yeah.
2: Thanks, Mike Bray. <laughs> oh, and
0: I mean, goodness. but this is like this is the this is the issue with the with the Syracuse schedule to date is that you were kind of alluding to it Kevin at the time each one of those losses in a vacuum didn't seem so bad but once you add them in totality together and once you add the additional context of how bad they've all been since then like the resume is not getting better for Syracuse the resume is objectively getting is yeah objectively getting worse right. and that means that what you your margin for error is just continually dropping
2: I did forget that both games that we beat the bottom 2 teams were by one point. I forgot yeah. that Notre Dame Notre Dame game was by a single point as well.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so they they haven't been convincing. No, we're 2 um, points
2: better than the bottom 2 teams in the ACC total. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, it's um you know, it's it's frustrating because I think there are there are some bright spots individually. Yeah. Um, but collectively, I, I just don't know. I don't know what this team's identity is. Well,
2: um, yeah, it seems it, like it might be one of those teams that needs a year to gel. But then, as soon as they have that year to gel, you're losing Edwards. You're probably losing Gerard. Like the probably losing Mince. Yeah, hypothetically losing Mince. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's is the team going to have enough time to gel as it needs to? Who knows.
1: It is going to be tricky. It's going to be a very interesting off season for them, Um, you know, because they look like they should have been in the portal last summer and weren't. I think part of the reason or other than Hema, you know, who was, Hey, we need a backup center. Here's this backup center who can play in the zone. And he's been better than I anticipated. Um, Can he take over as a starter for Jesse Edwards next year? I don't know. Defensively, maybe. And so if there's, enough guys around him offensively that could work. Um, but like Andy said, like if Mintz isn't back, then is Copeland ready to be the point guard? Does Samir Torrance come back right now? We don't have any players signed, you know, so any high school recruits, so they're going to have to go into the portal to replace bodies. And then at that point now you're like, okay, so now we're bringing in somebody to step in. Are you bringing in starters? Are you bringing in backups? And so, um, that's going to be the tricky, the navigation because if if Mince is back but Torrance and Gerard leave, yeah. you're looking for a guard in the portal, but you're not actually looking for a starting guard in the portal necessarily, and so
2: makes it a little. Tougher. Who are you
1: going to land? Um, and do you have a backup? And and they didn't get a forward, and without a safety net, the fact that Benny Williams and the three freshman forwards haven't emerged as consistent two-way threats in the ACC kind of leaves you wondering, like, oh, it would have been nice to have a veteran forward to let those guys move in a little bit slower pace and ease into it and not yep. throw so much at them. I and mean, maybe they can develop. I think uh, the the one bright spot of this team is if you can keep them together for a couple of years, you look like you have some pieces to build a very strong, like, yep. veteran college basketball team. Um, you know, Taylor and Brown and Bell and Copeland – as a group of four offer you a pretty good core, um, you know, size athleticism, some shooting from bell and Taylor and, you know, Copeland and Brown, who seem willing to do the dirty work, you know, the rebounds, the passing. And so you could build around them, but in this era, like, can you keep them? Can you keep Copeland when he plays five minutes a game and then doesn't play like, can you keep bell when he goes in and and makes a bunch of shots, but then he gets yanked because he can't rebound. And um, I've got a piece coming up tomorrow, looking at some of the shooting numbers. And I was actually surprised at Bell's shot chart. Um, I feel like he takes a lot of long uh, mid range jumpers, which aren't the best shot in basketball. (laughs) We talk analytics, but he's above national average in most areas, like from the top of the key and in the mid range, it's, A smaller sample size than other players but his shooting numbers are really good and he doesn't rebound for a forward but maybe he's a really a shooting guard and it's really weird yes and i've talked that point like i'll throw that out there and I'll, i'll take that and i'm sure when it gets back to jim through the grapevine he'll probably have some swipe at bloggers who don't know anything talking about who should play where but
2: no, he'll do that. And to, he'll do that and then shift him to the two next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's the piece that you got to figure out. And and you know, you're not going to bench Joe Girard, but you might have to look at your how you structure your team and think like, hey, this guy is six seven and he can make shots better than anybody on my team can make shots. I might have to find some minutes for him and also live with trying to cover for his defensive and rebounding limitations in some other ways. At the end of the day, you got to score, and, and you know this this team. A lot of people are stuck in the twenty eight team. Uh, Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, Pascal Chukwu, Tyler Roberson. We're going to choke you to death and play in the fifties because we're going to run the shot clock and give it to Tyus Battle and say, "Go get us a bucket." Mm-hmm. And on the other end, we're going to say we're going to put two six five guys on the perimeter, and if you get past them, there's a seven two guy in the middle. And if you go to the side, there are two guys that are six eight and six nine on the wings, plus those guys from up top who are going to just cover all sorts of ground right. and ha- harass you. And we've got a six one guard on yeah. the top, yeah. And and you know we've got two freshmen, sophomores. You know, Benny Williams didn't play much last year, so he's basically like a freshman who don't know where they're going yet and aren't strong enough and. I think, you know, people just say, well, play the zone and win defensively. Like, it worked before. Well, yeah, it worked for that team. And this is not a team that's going to grind you out in the 50s. And so you might have to ramp up the pace and just try and outscore some people for a little while.
0: Yeah. As long as you're starting Joe Girard, like, that that kind of defensive game plan is not going to work because the guys around him are just not elite defensively or, you know, athletic monsters to the point that they can make up for his deficiencies. And that's fine. Like again, Kevin, right. to your point, that is totally fine. If you're going to build the roster around that. And it just seems like Jim, I don't know if, if Gerard has like fun house mirrors in his apartment or something that make it look like he's actually, you know, got a ridiculous long wingspan or something, but Jim is playing Gerard like he's got Michael Carter Williams up there. Uh and not a a six-foot-one, very average-sized basketball player.
2: By very average, you mean small with not a wingspan to speak of and can't move? I was trying to be kind, but Uh, yeah, I think that that's more accurate. (laughs) His
1: positioning is better, and I will say the one thing that Jim did last night that I found interesting was when they pressed, at first, Joe was at half court. And all Virginia did was throw the ball to the corner, and when the trap came, They threw to over the top, and Joe can't cover the full width of the court and cut off those passes, or they would bounce it back to the inbounder who would reverse the ball, and they would get right up the floor. At some point, he switched and moved Mintz to half court and put Joe up top, because when Syracuse presses, they're not trying to steal the inbounds pass. The idea is to force the pass into the corner, and then Malik Brown, who's 6'9", with that long wingspan, or Benny Williams, same type of player, comes over, and gets in the way, so when the player in the corner tries to bounce back to the inbounders, that it's delayed and slowed so that the other wing can come over. But if they loop it over the top, you need someone who can run and cut off those looping passes, like a free safety. Mm-hmm. And I know Joe played free safety in high school, um, but this is not New York State Class B football. Um, it's the ACC, and like you're not going up against um, Lauville you know you're going up against six seven six hey, eight now, ACC we'll see, basketball players <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's it, so he moved he made the adjustment and then it was a little bit more effective because I think one you know Joe's smart enough to position himself yes um and and so it plays to his strengths and then you let Mintz freelance and hope that you can pick off some of those passes so we will see it we'll see if they they continue that sort of press but it was like when he had buddy at midcourt last year it was like once they get best to first wave like there's no chance that you're keeping them in the backcourt or even trapping when they get over half court because the player is just going to dribble around and then get to the middle of the floor and they're going to you know run their offense from there so we'll see i i I, you know you need need joe's shooting to help open up the defense and right now according to sports reference he's the worst defensive player on the roster of people that play he's a minus him and Chris Bell are the only minuses, which you might say, okay, well, what's the big deal of that? Well, Syracuse has played one of the worst schedules in the, you know, division one. So if you're a minus against a really weak schedule, as you move into tougher teams, like we're not expecting it to translate. And so Jesse Edwards has been pretty good. Um, Jesse feasts on those teams that have six, seven or six, eight centers. Hmm. And now he's running into ACC teams that have six eleven and seven foot centers, and it's a little bit tougher for him. Um, and so, you know, we'll see kind of adjustments that that Jim makes, and if he tries to bring out some gimmicks or what. But he's going to have to come up with something quick because the same old formula is just not going to do it for the Syracuse team.
0: Yeah, um, Kevin. I always appreciate when you join us for the pod because not only do you make keep us honest on our Olympic sports coverage, um, but Steve and I'm I. am
1: gonna take the heat. I'm gonna take the heat. The beta. yeah, a little
0: bit. The well, Steve and I's <laughs> basketball reference inevitably goes into. Let's remember some guys from the times that we were good. Um, you are actually good. trying to problem solve for what we have now. So that's always appreciated. Yes,
1: might have a better it might be a better approach. We might have to pivot to that on the site and just do, hey, remember Marius Junulis? Let's look back at his career. <laughs> Happy moments. Oh
2: god. Yeah. That'd be great. Um <laughs> Yeah, we just it would you be know, still, every, every time, time you post a, post a Jason Cipola three or yeah. like, let's just hit the uh, yeah. Wayback Machine. Um, but no, uh, speaking of uh, basketball teams that are good, do we want to talk about the women? Because they are looking pretty darn good right now.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, they, they probably let one slip away against NC State. Yeah. That would have been big to knock off a top 10 team who BC turned around and beat the game afterwards. Um, but they battled two ranked opponents pretty hard. Uh, came back and, and pulled away from Pitt in the fourth quarter and, and took care of Clemson in a similar fashion today. And they're fun to watch. Uh, if people haven't checked them out, like definitely um, you know watch them. I think they don't have the depth there. But now that Georgia Woolley seems to be healthy, they've got sort of a, a three-pronged attack. And so Taisha Hyman, Daisha Fair, and Woolley are all capable scorers which proves interesting when you start to face teams that have a little bit more size and talent than you. And you've got three perimeter players who are all capable of going off for 20 points and making shots. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about Joe and the comparisons to GMAC and some of that type of player And Deja Fair is sort of that throwback where some of the shots that she takes, you're like, no, 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 no. And then they go in and you're like, man, like have someone willing to take the ball and like, all right, we need a basket, go get a shot um she certainly has that attitude and, and they play sort of a uh frenetic pace defense to try and you know turn get turnovers like they're yeah. not big enough to sit back in a zone and out rebound teams, so they try and force the issue so
2: yeah she's definitely got a lot of that um i i guess i would give it the scoop Jardine in her game the, yeah. why the hell did yeah. you do that oh okay yeah. that's fine it's okay yeah. everything's don't late, do that late oh stage okay scoop. <laughs> late stage scoop yeah yeah yep
1: yeah um, yeah, I think it was the pit game. I was like, "Oh, those are some bad shots." And then, like, the fourth quarter, she made like four or five in a row as they pulled away. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's why you, <laughs> okay, the that's coach fine. trusts you." <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Oh god. it's going to be interesting to watch how they compete moving forward. And I think that the we talked about setting the standard for recruiting. Like, obviously, Felicia, that like, get Jack brought in a lot of people she was familiar with from Buffalo, and now like Fair will be gone. Hyman will be gone like she's gonna have to fill in and and reload and rebuild but now when you talk about transfers and what you can appeal to she can point to like hey first year we're able to bring people in and they were competitive in the ACC and and I think that's going to open some eyes uh, nationally
0: yeah I've I think that one of the things that we've kind of talked about here on this pod before is just that like the culture shift was very much needed inside of that program um legit jack is 100 who you want to be driving that ship um and i do think that we're still very much in the honeymoon phase of this like we haven't really seen any real adversity hit this program yet so i am interested to see if this is a year where they can build up they can be good and have expectations because i still think and like correct me if i'm wrong here but I still think that we need to be living in a space where, like, the teardown after the after the Q tenure was complete, and rebuilding from that is not an easy thing to do, even if you're in the ACC with an experienced coach like Legit Jack is.
1: Yeah, and I think expectations have to be sort of tempered, but also understand, like, after a couple of years, like, then it's you've shifted the culture, you've moved on from a really black mark in the program. Now it's like, okay, what have we done to turn the page? And I think this year she's already proven it to be a success. Like the program has found some success on the court, but they're more, much more competitive than they were last year. There's a lot more positivity around. I mean, she coached a game wearing a men's soccer jersey, like yeah. after they won the title, like, you know, and it's not an act and it's not like, you know, it's a serious like passion for the university. Which is great and what they needed, and so, it's what do you do like when this player that you brought from Buffalo that co- was recruited by all the top five teams moves on, like, and so what do you do when Fair and Hyman are gone? Can you continue to, to attract players at the ACC level and be competitive? I think you know I think expectations for the women's program have to be some sort sort of uh, differentiated from what we expect from the men's. Um, just from the historical nature of the way that nationally women's basketball is right now, which is the top five or six programs usually hoard all the talent. It's almost like college football. Like, it's hard to break into that, to that mold. I mean, um,
2: you know, we had
1: a starting freshman that was six seven, who started for Syracuse for an entire year. And obviously, there was a lot of other stuff that went into it, but transferred to South Carolina to sit behind the player of the year. Like in men's basketball, that doesn't happen. You know, like people don't go from starting, even if it's on a bad team, to go be a backup for multiple years, uh, you know, on a top five team. And and then still in the women's game, you see some of those things. So can you flip that and be, I think, you know, can you be, it's like football. We look at bowl games as success. I think for women's basketball is, can you be in the discussion and get in the NCAA tournament, you know, three out of five years and be competitive within your conference and I think at that point you know you could have a long-standing you know relationship with a coach if if not and it doesn't work out I still think it's the right move because it was the right person to rebuild that culture and and sort of reset your program um, but I think syracuse fans should root for some success because I think when you find people that are that passionate about the school and it carries over and, and we see, success breeds success. And if you find success in some sports, it kind of helps lift the others, um, both from the mood inside the athletic department and also helping, you know, change facilities. It's a lot easier to sell people to open up their, their wallets and donate uh, when they can see that it's going and impacting more than one area. And so that carryover effect is kind of contagious on, on the programmatic level. So, you know, What's it that the rising tide raises all boats or something?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. I think that's, you know, that's very similar in a, in a school like Syracuse where it's close knit programs. And if you can find success, it can help you know, others um, find it as well.
0: Yeah. The uh, women's uh, program continues their ACC schedule. Um, they've yeah. got Notre Dame coming up. Not this. Uh, I think it's actually next. Well, I, Next Sunday, it looks like. So after we, next time that, what was that?
2: January 15th.
0: January 15th, yeah. So next Sunday. So next time we talk, we'll be talking about a Syracuse Notre Dame game. Those are always fun. That one is at the JMA Wireless Dome. So if you're in the Syracuse area, I definitely think that that's the game to potentially go check them out um, and and see what's up with the program. That's
2: number four Notre Dame. And it's also Doggy Day at the Dome. Oh, that is amazing. (laughs) I may have to take my dog and my kid up there. Um, yeah. So I mean, got, that's the vibe, right? Yeah. yeah. What the hell? Uh, you got yeah. They've got a home and away against Notre Dame, and then three other ranked games against Duke, UNC, and uh, Virginia Tech. Um, all of which are on the road. No, North Carolina is at home. Um, so it's it's not going to be a easy, simple run in for them. Right. But uh, you know what they've shown so far is more than I remotely expected out of that team. So, uh, I'd say. They're definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah. Well, with that, we have
0: covered a week of Syracuse Sports. Kevin, thank you, as always, for coming on and pinch hitting, um, saying all the things that Steve and I are not nearly confident enough to say in regards to basketball analytics. Um, But... We very much appreciate you joining. We appreciate everybody else who tuned in live on our Twitch stream. Remember that we do this pretty much every Sunday night around 8 p.m. Eastern is when we go live. You can basically watch the podcast before anybody else gets to see it. Um, thank you to everybody who did tune in tonight. Thank you to everybody who's listening on your podcast medium of choice. Make sure you like and subscribe. Help us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire across the interwebs. Uh, if you are watching, listening to this on newsmagician.com, Thank you so much. We really do appreciate the continued support of the website, where, as Kevin mentioned, we've got some great stuff coming up this week around basketball. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some football stuff as more transfer news happens. Uh, And again, uh, we really do appreciate the continued support of all of our News Magician readers and listeners. Um, So for Kevin, for Steve, for myself, for Christian on the COVID IL, uh, thank you, everybody, and go Orange. Go Orange. Go
1: Orange.